Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I have never been much of a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed the 1997 movie Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson and, and Julia Roberts in it. But I just have never subscribed to the thinking that there were organizations out there that were so organized and secretive that they could take over the world and run your life, especially governmental organizations. I mean, seriously, you know, these, these organizations, they, they can't get organized enough to run a DMV. <laughs> uh, I have, I have not been one that believes that they are listening to everything, um, that I, I say and do and, and write down and categorize it all accordingly. I, I understand that the FBI and others have kept files on certain celebrities and identified them as, you know, communist sympathizers and the like. But just for everyday Joe Blow like us, I've, I've had a hard time seeing how they were all that interested in us. Though, on the other hand, I am not naive enough to think that given the chance, almost anyone would not want to rule the world. <laughs> I mean, there, there's always the question posed by many, you know, what would you do if you were king for a day? It always makes us think. And, and there's a reason that there are so many cartoons with some short little villain with a diabolical laugh and, and, and a shrink ray yelling to everyone that he's going to take over the world. <laughs> and I also know history. And I know that organizations, and, and, and I know what they can do when given too much power. We've, we've been shown what happens when you give your God-given freedoms to governments that say that they just want to take care of you. They disguise this power grab in terms like, we want to make everyone equitable. We want to eliminate poverty. And we want to provide for all your needs. All you have to do to get all of these great things is to just simply give up all your rights, give up individuality and, and your freedoms. If, if you don't want to do that, then you're, you're just a selfish person. Why would you not want to work for the greater good? Isn't it a, a, a Christian principle to love your neighbor? How can you love your neighbor and not want all of these nice, shiny things? The problem, of course, with, with this enticing offer is that it never ends up as advertised. It's, it's kind of like when my wife and I, see, we, we buy storage units at, at auctions occasionally. And from time to time, we buy a unit at an auction where the owner has lost it to the fact that they didn't pay the rent on it. And, and, and this storage facility will place the unit up for auction uh, to give the public a chance to place the winning bid, of course. Well, when we look to bid on a unit, we look at, at what we can see. You, you can't go into the unit. In fact, many of, of these are, are online only now, and, and you only have a few pictures of the unit. 
what we see in the unit, well, we try to evaluate if there are things of value in it. Are, are there unopened boxes that the owner has, has has taken great care to preserve? Or or did they just throw stuff around and not care about the things that were in that unit? The other day, we found one that looked really good, and it had some things of value that you could see. And, 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 and lots and lots of boxes neatly taped and, and the contents protected with packing paper and things. And, and, and we bought it and, and started opening up each box. And when we did, we kind of found a worst case scenario. This unit had been owned by a homeless gentleman. Yeah. Everything was covered in just dirt and stuff. And, and, and a, a packing company had been employed to pack up everything. They'd even wrapped um, up uh, like sticks and rocks and, and wrapped them in, in packing paper and put them in, in, these, in these boxes. Every, everything, like I say, was just smelly and just covered in, in, with dirt and filthy. Even the things that would normally have some value, you're just like shaking dust out of and things. And this unit was not what it seemed to be before we bought it. And, and, and really, this is like communism and fascism. They advertise all these things that look really attractive and then deliver the worst case scenarios. What, what comes to people that give up their freedoms is death and destruction. That brings us to, to, to what I really wanted to cover today, and that is Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, or WEF. Now, you may be asking, who and what? <laughs> you, you may have heard of this group by the, the conference that they put on every year called Davos. Uh, they call it that because they meet in Davos, Switzerland. The, the concerning thing isn't where they meet, though but why they meet and who is meeting. Larry Alex Taunton did a series of articles for the Daily Wire that I think was an interesting look at this organization and what they are trying to accomplish and, and, and who is leading them. And he starts out by saying that when I began researching this series for the Daily Wire, I scarcely knew the depth of the rabbit hole into which I would descend. What started out as a straightforward article uh, about the 80-something German engineer, Klaus Schwab, and his brainchild, the World Economic Forum, an organization he has chaired since its founding in 1971, soon took on increasingly complicated dimensions. So where to begin? And then it dawned on me. To understand Schwab and the WEF, the place to start isn't Davos, Switzerland, where members of the forum and, and hangers-on meet annually. It's, it's utopia. Oscar Wilde once said, quote, A map of the world that does not include utopia is not worth even glancing at, unquote. Utopia, it, it was long assumed lay in the, the distant past. The, the Hebrews called it Eden, a, a garden of, of uh, innocence and spiritual um, perfection until man spoiled it, of course. The Greeks, too, looked, for, looked backwards um, with a, a kind of law of 
in, in entropy, which uh, at work in history, uh, Plato and centuries of, of successors believed the future um, one would, you know, went back in time, the, the, the more perfect things became uh, until one reached the golden age uh, at the dawn of civilization. But it was the Renaissance and Sir Thomas More who gave us the word utopia of Greek construction, meaning no place. That a seismic shift then occurred. No longer was the perfect state of a prehistoric city, or cities as More conceived it, you know, presenting the high watermark of a lost civilization. But it was very much in the present and in the future. Henceforth, utopians possessed by the idea of, of eternal progress and the, perf, uh, the perfectibility of human society, if not humans individually, would, would seek to, to build it. I mean, we see that in, in the progressive church, really, even today. That's, that's what they espouse. There arose in the in the Renaissance and the Enlightenment a a spat of utopian visions for the betterment of man, and and then the human degradation of the industrial Re- revolution came the greatest in body counts utopian vision of all, Marxism, and its promise to sweep away poverty and injustice. Victorian novelist and critic Samuel Butler, uh, who saw better than most the the logical flaws in Charles Darwin's uh, epic-defining work, also saw the inherent dangers of the um, megalomanics and their their undeliverable promises of paradise. In this anti-utopian novel, uh, which was entitled uh, E1, E1 in which was produced and, and published in, in 1872, Butler warned of the temptation to surrender freedom to clever philosophers who would convinced, uh, convince them their institutions were unjust and they would alone could fix them. Butler needn't have bothered. The promise of a perfect world was far too alluring. And so the uh, the competition to build it was on. But unlike Moore's and Plato's imaginary creations, these would be utopias where all too many terrifyingly real things would be happening. At the, at the same time that Lenin was building his utopia on the millions of, of Russian dead, Henry Ford was planning his model city, modestly named Fordlandia, in the uh, interior of Brazil. Cer- uh, certain that progress was as much a, a constant of the universe as the laws of uh, you know, theodynamics, the, the 20th century saw roughly half of the world wrecked by merely that promise. By the end of the last century, Marxism and its twin fascism would kill more than 150 million people. But utopians are seldom put off by body count. <laughs> and so the experiment was repeated in the people's promises of China, uh, North Korea, Cuba, and, and many more besides. 
George um, Bernard uh, Shaw, a, a, a hardcore communist, spoke for more than himself when he said, after a visit to Stalin's Russia, quote, it's not a question uh, of to kill or not to kill. It's a question of killing the right people, unquote. The road to utopia always seems to run through a field pitted with mass graves, but we know better now, right? Mm, wrong. I give you Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Quote, the future is built by us, unquote. This might come as a surprise to the planet's remaining 8 billion people who have, have not elected Schwab to, to so much as a you know, city dog catcher. Yet it was without any sense of irony or embarrassment that Schwab, like a true utopian, made this declaration with a brandished fist at the May 2022 gathering of the WEF in Davos. One may reasonably deduce from this that Schwab is not an avid reader of Samuel Butler uh, or for that matter, uh, George Orwell or the Bible or any of those. The, the WEF's motto is not lacking in ambition, committed to improving the state of the world. Most of us content ourselves with more modest goals, like, say, improving your credit score or your golf handicap. <laughs> Regardless, the WEF's attitude toward democracy is contempt. National sovereignty? Passe. Patriotism? Fascists. Business? Should be government-run. And personal liberty? Selfish. And this suggests a different agenda than world improvement. Whatever your theory on their goals, they can, say Schwab, be achieved by a powerful community as you hear in this room. This is what he says. And, and powerful they are. More than 50 heads of state attend this, attended this year's meeting. Add to this the leadership of BlackRock and Google and Microsoft and, and many other you know captains of industry, and you have an eyebrow-raising um, convocation of, of power brokers, um, collectively known as Davos Man. Yes, Davos Man, to rival any international assembly. Like progressives everywhere, the they they profess to love you know, to love man, their their love of man. But in the abstract, of course, instead of helping the person in front of them as the the Christian model, they would save the hypothetical millions, or in this case, billions. It's either solve world hunger, poverty, and inequity, or nothing. And according to Vanity Fair's Peter S. Goodman, it's nothing. In an interesting plot twist, he sees Davos as a sinister expression of right-wing politics, as if Schwab's devotees were all mega-hat-wearing conservatives. Goodman neither condemns Schwab nor his WEF for their... Sub, subversive globalist agenda, he, he condemns them for their hypocrisy 
and not fulfilling it. <laughs> in, in the prevailing pandemonium, uh, Davos man is intent on channeling his um, intellect and, and compassion towards solving the, the great crises of the age. He might have retreated to his mountaintop palace in Jackson Hole or his yacht moored off of Mykonos, but he is too oppressed with uh, rescuing the poor and sparing humanity from the ravages of climate change. So he is in Davos, posing for photos with Bono, congratulating Bill Gates on his Philip Tactic uh, ex- exploits, tweeting out uh, inspirational quotes from Deepak uh, uh, Chopra. In other words, Davos is a lot like mm, Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> I'm reminded of a line from uh, the the brothers uh, Kar- uh, Karamazov, the where it says, "quote The more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular." Unquote. <laughs> humanity in in the progressive view is best loved from afar, as in when the National Guard takes the undesirables away, or as here, from atop a Swiss Alp. But all of this begs prior questions. Who is Klaus Schwab? What exactly is the World Economic Forum? What is the ideology driving them? And what is the Great Reset? Let's discuss these questions. And and when we do, remember that Herr Schwab has your future all planned out for you. He literally said that, quote, You will own nothing and you will be happy, unquote. Klaus Schwab, founder and sole chairman of the World Economic Forum since its inception in 1971 is the original international man of mystery. As I said earlier, research for this project has been the rabbit hole of all rabbit holes. And and this is largely because there is almost no meaningful, reliable biological, uh, or I'm sorry, biographical information available on Schwab himself. One can find facts, He was born in Ravensburg, Germany in 1938, but almost nothing about the man behind the facts. In his well-written, interesting, and decidedly leftist book, Davos Man, How How Billionaires uh, Devoured the World, New York Times journalist Peter S. Goodman offers an insider's perspective on the doings of the rich and famous at the WEF's annual conference in Davos, Switzerland, uh, an event that he has attended uh, for the better part of a decade. And yet, in a book that is meant to be an expose on Schwab and his forum, Goodman tells us little about Schwab beyond antidotes. Quote, Schwab has frequently told his colleagues that he anticipates receiving a Nobel Peace Prize. Like the people he gathers annually in the Alps, Schwab is an uh, exemplar of the force of pious words as, um, you know, philotropic against the consequences 
of unsavory deeds. And criticisms are mostly really kind of petty in nature, like this one. When a forum employee who was late for a meeting once pulled into Schwab's spot in, in the parking lot, aware that the boss was overseas, he caught wind of it and insisted that she be fired. It, it's not it's not that these stories are meaningless. Goodman's central criticism is one of elitism and hypocrisy. And these illustrate his thesis. But as far as expose material goes, it's pretty thin. Indeed, when it comes to biography, Schwab is like a cardboard cutout. <laughs> the, the outline of a man is there, but... and. An enormous hole remains. And, and even so, all of this tells us something important about Schwab. His bio biography appears to be carefully guarded by an army of monitors. Uh, consider the WEF's About Klaus Schwab webpage. It merely lists degrees and honors, books, and so on. Uh, Wikipedia, which loves to indulge rumor and speculation of every kind, is rather mum on Schwab. His entry is roughly 1,400 words, which is about the same word count as Gabriel Carteris, the current president of the Screen Actors Guild. George Floyd more than doubles Schwab at 3,100 words, while the fictional Mr. Bean gets 6,400. Wikipedia is a reflection of public uh, interest rather than public uh, importance. And in that sense, it's more like Yelp than an Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> Still, for, for a man who regularly meets with heads of state and expects to be treated like one, this is more than just a, a little curious, don't you think? Schwab, it seems, has managed to do what most every drunk spring breaker has tried to do but couldn't scrub something negative about themselves from the internet. Perhaps rubbing elbows with executives in big tech has its advantages, maybe. Most of what Google prioritizes in search results on the 84-year-old is glowing. You may think I'm just being cynical, but you must remember, who are we talking about here? It's simply unrealistic that a man with Schwab's oversized ambition enact a, a radical environmental agenda, the, the ch chief aim of which is reducing the human population globally, uh, substitute the, the beef on your menu with bugs, and move the world toward a really a, a, a transhumanist future, doesn't have a few billion enemies. But those people aren't being given the mic. If if nature abhors a vacuum, well, human nature delights in filling it. The absence of bi biographical information about Schwab has given us a vast array of conspiracy theories concerning him, his family, and his objectives. In those corners of the internet, Schwab is alternately a anti-Semitic, um, a Nazi, a puppet of some cultic Illuminati or is himself, you know, kind of a, a transhuman. That, conspira that conspiracy theories about Schwab abound has not gone unnoticed. 
USA Today, Newsweek, Reuters, and many others all ran predictable fact check stories on the on the more outlandish of these claims. BBC seized upon these conspiracies as an opportunity to publish this bizarre defense of Schwab and his great reset. In their telling of it, it's all a rather benign attempt to create a better world. Nothing to see here, people, type of thing. Having my own experience with BBC's dishonesty, I confess I, I'm envious of Schwab's ability to get one of the largest news agencies in the world to serve as his de facto apologist. Must be nice. Most of us have, have to defend ourselves. But BBC was attacking a straw man. And as the article makes clear, they were attempting to characterize all opposition of the globalist agenda as part of a mega tinfoil hat crowd. Quote, believers spin dark tales about the authoritarianism, authoritarian socialist world government run by powerful capitalists and politicians, a secret cabal that a broadcasting is planned around the world in this in the hands of a diverse group of online activists the great reset has been transformed from a call to and uh, encourage people to think about a, su- su- a sustainable future to a sinister plot against humanity that's what they wrote so how their editors let this pass with a straight face is beyond me. Either BBC has never read Schwab, heard Schwab, or they are in on the plot against humanity. Consider this Schwabism. Quote, I achieve a better outcome in the post-pandemic era. The world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and and economies from the education to the social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the United States to China must participate. And every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism, unquote. If your neighbor said this, you'd write him off as a nut But according to The Hill, the Biden administration has expressed devotion to Schwab's plan. This is about more than putting paper and plastic in the right waste bin. It's nothing less than a global overhaul, a total global overhaul. One pictures James Bond, uber villain uh, Ernst uh, uh, Stavro um, Blofeld sitting at the the head of the long table and, and petting a cat as he unveils his plot for world domination to the members' spectra, right? A few mornings ago, I I was listening to sports radio uh, as I shaved, and at the commercial break, a promo for the Marvel podcast broke through uh, my consciousness and said, the people don't know what they want. They have to be told what is good for them. And I, Dr. Doom, am the only one who can provide it. (laughs) It is, of course, meant to be the stuff of comic books. And if only it were confined to that universe. Sadly, it now occupies our own. In In an academic paper that inspires the goals of the WEF, and and we will talk more 
next time about this. We we find an apocalyptic warnings of every type, global overpopulation, uh, most of all. Uh, the writers say that uh, it will be necessary for leaders to make appalling decisions in the future. Klaus Schwab is, is confident. He and the elite members of his World Economic Forum are the people for the job. And I'm going to say this. Next podcast, we, we will set aside conspiracy theories and focus on, on the known, uh, known the, the factual type things. I mean, does one really need to know that Hitler was the son of a civil servant and a fan of Wagner to understand the Holocaust? Mein Kampf was right there for all to read. Unfortunately, few bothered. So let's let's do this. Um, let's pick up from here uh, on our next podcast on Wednesday, and let's look into this group and why they are so dangerous. Again, I, I'm I'm not going into a bunch of conspiracy theories and and this type of thing. What I want to do is I want to bring uh, this this group to you and, and, and this individual that leads this group and, and those that participate in this, and I want to bring them to you and let you decide whether or not they're dangerous or not. And I, I propose to you, I think that they are. And, and let's, let's look a little closer into this next time. You, again, you may agree with this and you may completely disagree with this, but I would definitely love to hear from you on it. And you can do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.